and we're back for the 2022 season. Welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight to the Great British Isles a couple of weeks off. Thankfully, not much happened. Our first break probably taking 18 months but with this team, but it's finally the combine this week, and that's where the wheels of free agency start turning. And also you get a look at the prospects in a little bit more up close and personal in Indianapolis. But to talk us through this, from the Texans Wire and bringing back the Texans Talk podcast, the good doctor himself, Mr. John Crumper, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on, Ian. I'm, uh, I'm excited for the offseason to pick up here. And like you said, it really is the first time we've had a break from coverage. It's nice that everyone was just excited we hired Lovey, and that's that's been it for a few weeks. Like just positive press. So was Lovey the hire um, that gave realism, gave a sense of professionalism, probably some credibility as well that the process probably didn't deserve? I would agree with that. I mean, <laughs> I haven't written my notes here. I'll just go ahead and jump into it. The process was probably a, a D a D plus process. I mean, you had the team announced three finalists on their own social page and you ended up not hiring any of them. Uh, I was in Mobile, Alabama for the senior bowl and the buzz everyone was talking about there is that the Texans were actively working to hire Jonathan Gannon. And I go home later, Lovey Smith is hired. I don't think anyone saw it coming. But the good news is, is like you said, he's a very well-respected head coach. He brings a lot of credibility and he kept Pep Hamilton. So I feel I feel okay about it for considering how poorly that could have turned out to lose all your finalists. I'm all right with it. How do you feel about the process, the result? Yeah, I think the process, I mean, um, is... The dysfunction doesn't discontinue, I think, and I know people are sick of talking about it. And the partly because I think people don't want to think it's there, and I think that's fine. Um, you know, everybody likes to just think of the good stuff and not the the troubles that lie lie underneath the surface. But they're still there, and they're still very present, and they continue to hold us back. And ye- and there is a little bit of me wonders, will we ever truly move forward until all of that is gone? And you know what we're talking about. You know who mm-hmm. we're talking about, and there's an obvious, obvious influence there. And you know, people say, "Oh, he's not making decision personnel." You know, and yeah, nobody's saying he is because he doesn't know fuck all about personnel. But what he does know about is how to influence people in positions mm-hmm. um, that can make things from the outside perspective look very disjointed. And I think that's the reality of it. You know, and that is that will continue to be the reality of this team, um, and probably Casario will live and die by that. So it's just whether he can do enough on, on his end. Um, to compensate for all that kind of stuff. Now, does that affect you materially on a Sunday? It shouldn't, uh, but it affects everything that leads up to a Sunday. But the process was, it is what it is. And I, I, I think, you know, they were, it, for, from my understanding, if you piece the Joshina Anderson tweets together, that basically they weren't, they weren't kind of sold on the staff, I think, of Jonathan Gannon. I think, you know, the I heard people, say, you know, exactly saying that, John, that he was around, the senior bowl, pretty much, you know, thinking he was, it was his gig to take, or or people assumed that. Yeah, everyone was just kind of talking about that he was expected to be the guy in Houston. That was yeah. the the big favorite with anyone that I talked to that was there. And so. then and then late again, a common theme late on. It seems like it's going to be jo- uh, Josh McKevin, which is just ridiculous. It's asinine on so many levels. Um, 
And then obviously the Flores angle was the other one. Would he have, you know, been out? Was he just part of the tick box exercise? All the kind of, you know, wrong behaviours that he's protesting and rightly so again. So, yeah, I mean, look, when Lovey stood up there, you could, it just felt like it was normal again for a while. And I think that's, you know, normality. Um, even just, you know, being static rather than imploding, you know, and I think we've had a long, long time of not feeling functional as an organisation and it felt like he could at least steady the ship. We're not saying he's going to win that many games and he might win you too many games this year, you never know. Um, probably likely outcome. Um, but no, I, I felt like it just kind of gave a bit kind of feeling of normality and a bit like an actual, there was an adult in the room for a change. Um, there wasn't a pat, he wasn't a patsy, he's a, you know, he's respected around the league. You know, and you know, players say he. You know, I had somebody tweet the other day. He will attract players, and he's like, "Well, yeah. I mean, the situation is probably overrides him for a, a while, but, um, but free it is free agency, and I think the off season gives you a chance to, to kind of you know see, see a level playing field until the games come around. Um, we're going to talk some free agency today. Um, quite a stark contrast watching the various teams, predominantly NFC games that I don't watch a lot of, but yeah, I mean, just tells you how absolutely what a shit show that offence has been for the last few years because there was some much better football and much more organised up front in the trenches. So yeah, we'll get on to that. Um, I tweeted out just to wrap up the whole kind of uh, point of uh, the Bill Pullian comments now. I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking is. I don't know what that, that's run by a guy named Easterby. Um, and, and, and he's, uh, he's, he's the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. So we, we don't know what his thinking is. He, he never appears publicly. And so he's like the Pope. You don't know. Well, the Pope appears on the balcony. That is true. Know. If the Pope does come out on the balcony from time you can to time, see him. He actually has audiences and things like that. Yeah. So not the Pope. Yes. And I, I can tell you that, that Jim Harbaugh actually shook hands with him right up there on the podium at one of the myths. So he's out there. But Bill Polian was, in, you know, and, 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 you know, very predictably hired Matt Eberflus because that's where he's from. He spent time in Indianapolis, if you're not familiar with him, and he Hall of Fame GM. Uh, Peyton Manning years, did it in Buffalo. You know, he's, he's been seen, bought the T-shirt. And he was involved, so he would have been speaking to agents. He would have had, the, the, you know, the very inner circles of how the, this league works. He would have seen that firsthand this off-season in helping... Chicago hire, I'm forgetting the guy's name, the offensive lineman, and then also uh, Matt Eberflus. And when they were talking about the Cully thing, he says right clearly there, he says that, you know, that they're run by a guy by called Easterby, and he is the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. And then there's also a corroborating anecdote that follows that up to say that, you know, he was shaking hands with Jim Harbaugh at some sort of event. I wasn't quite clear, but ultimately, common practice that he is very influential, very co- calling the calling the shots. So, you know, for everybody, John, I think he likes to say it's a media creation or they just want to bury their head in the sand about it or whatever. Yeah. They've just kind of I mean, fed up. Doesn't mean it's I not like true. To, what I like to say is uh, kind of my trademark has become fandom is a disease and the Texans illness might be a terminal one. I think it's easier to delude yourself into saying that Easter B doesn't matter than to admit that everyone else who's involved with the league says that he's a factor. And I think Bill Polian's comments played into that. And as nice as, like you said, um, you know, I actually felt pretty comforted look at watching Casario in a uh, lovey up there at the introductory press conference. I was like, we have two grownups who are both capable of doing their jobs independently and at a high level with a proven track record of success. Like 
I want to feel really good about this, but there's just all these gentle reminders that there is sort of this, this unsolved uncertain presence in the building in Easterby that none of us, and I don't even think the front office knows how to evaluate what he's doing there. Yeah, and I think that's it. And hopefully we'll see over time a bit more evolution of the front office. We've obviously seen uh, the coaching staff, which will come on to that. But I, I just thought, you know, you can you can say what you want. You can, you know, think anything you want about this team. But ultimately, if you cannot discredit that source for me, and that was a very, very clear indication. Mm-hmm. I've not seen too many people pick it up. Um, and, you know, if you say anything about it, there's always a raft of people that are willing to kind of jump on it. Um, but ultimately, you, you don't get much people... You know, you don't get sorry, you don't get people a bit any further closer to the inner sanctum of this league than somebody actively advocating for a hiring process of a team. And uh, he would have seen it, he would have heard from agents, and it would have been discussed. So you know, well, you know, we don't want to talk about him, but I think it's negligent to to not talk about him because he's still a, a very much a reality of this team. You know, if you want to delude yourself otherwise, then be my guest. There's a lot of delusions yeah. flying around just there. Or, Absolutely. or sensitive topics. I think that's the that's what I've learned in the it's last just, couple of weeks. It's difficult because we have to keep talking about him because his name keeps coming up and he's so clearly a part of this process, but none of us actually know what he does. I don't even think Bill, I mean, Bill Pullian's comments, like it suggests he, everyone knows that I think he, he called him, was it the Wizard of Oz comment that he, that he made? And it kind of alludes to we know that he plays a big part in the decision-making, but we don't know in any capacity. So the team, I think the team is doing itself a disservice at this point. You know, it's fine if Jack is going to be a major part of the organization, but, you know, don't you kind of wish they'd let him come up in a press conference and say, like, this is what I do. This is what I am responsible for. This is what Nick is responsible for. I am involved in these discussions. I'm not involved. I think the team could kill a lot of negative PR if they just said, here's the boogeyman. There's nothing to be afraid of. Like, this is what Jack act, but they're not going to do that. They haven't done it yet. I don't think they're ever going to. And that, that's it. And if, if if it was so transparent and it was so, you know, mundane and, and rudimentary of how you run a football team, then it would be out in the open. But there's a reason why they're hiding. And I think they'll mm-hmm. continue to hide. And um, the cowardice of that screams, you know, the actions of that and um, is uh, is very, very clear and apparent for everybody. But, you know, I'll, hopefully we can find ways around it and as we start mm-hmm. um, building this team. And I think the biggest cloud hanging over this team, John, has obviously been the Deshaun Watson situation. There seems like an end date of the first slash sort of third, fourth of April where the criminal part of it, which was described to me as going to be as a misdemeanor at best, um, mm-hmm. that may give teams some comfort. Do you think, and it's obviously kind of guesswork here, but do you think that gives us a chance to then clear that up and then move forward with a a trade pre-draft? It gives you like three weeks to get the the, the civil stuff settled. I mean, tell me your understanding of the situation, but this is mine. So on April 1st, a decision will have to be made by a grand jury about whether they're going to proceed with criminal charges. Assuming that Watson is cleared, or like you said, it's a minor charge, that would open up the ability for him to be deposed about his civil charges. And the depositions would allow Busby to move forward with finding a settlement. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. So that would give us, what, 30? I think the draft is April 31st, April 29th, somewhere in that range. Yeah, 28th, yeah, 28th. The 28th. I mean, four weeks. And really, I have to imagine it's the criminal stuff that teams are afraid of. If If the criminal things go Houston's way, 
whatever that is, I hope there's justice. I hope the truth is found. But I think the best case for Houston is that the criminal stuff goes away and that'll allow Watson to settle this individually. I do think they could find a trade partner. I mean, it is a desperate quarterback market. And for the first time in a while, there don't appear to be a lot of options. There's no elite guy coming out of the draft. Uh, it seems like every analyst has a different top quarterback. Uh, you have teams discussing Jimmy Garoppolo as a solution to how they can make the playoffs. And anyone who watched the Niners personally, it feels like we just watched a fantastic offensive scheme and a stout defense drag Jimmy Garoppolo and his rah-rah personality to the playoffs. That's I don't think anyone wants to invest in that. So I have to think there's a going to be a robust market. It's just like we saw last year when things started to wait, teams are going to make decisions before April on what their quarterback situation is. So if we get to April, who's going to have already committed to Jimmy Garoppolo for the season by then? Will Aaron Rodgers have been traded? Uh, what other veterans might have been moved around? Because the longer we wait, the more teams are going to pull themselves out of the race. But I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic on a deal being done before the draft. And then I'll ask you this question, but my expectations for a return are starting to go down. Have, are your expectations for what we're going to get back starting to decrease? Yeah, I think it's like anything you put something on the market, the longer it, the longer it sits there, you know, whatever factor you want to, you want to kind of um, leverage or use to your advantage, I suppose, to try and discount, you know, what you ultimately end up paying, I suppose. Yeah, it could be. Um, I mean, long as you get three firsts, plus, you know, substantial assets, then I think we'll all be okay. And I, there's a balance to be had, right? Because you don't want to move on and, and then regret it because then, you know, say in three years' time, somebody else, you know, athletes first or whatever, tries to engineer an exit for their client and then that price gets trumped. Um, that will not be great. Um, and then you look back on yet another trade of giving away quality, you know, starting caliber if not you know tra in transformational roster players for less than what they're worth so yeah there's a big there's a balance to be had there I think if you get three first and two seconds be okay do I think in real terms will it probably less than that yeah, probably um, and that that's just something we'll probably have to you know find our way but as the process goes on when people are starting to see their you know their roster shape out when owners are starting to pressure teams for what you know David Tepper is the one that you think you know if anybody's going to overpay it'll be him because you know you you, you can't overpay we, we can only undersell right because if he if he if he finds every little bit of form that he had before four first even five first probably worth it you know in the grand scale just because how hard it is to get how hard is it to be in the position at the top of the draft at the right year to then find the right prospect it's not always at the top of the draft. It's often luck. There's so many variables in there. There's no exact formula for it. Um, it's not like that the you know the, the worst team in the league gets the best quarterback or best young quarterback every year. It just doesn't happen like that. So, no. yeah, I mean, you could have three or four goes at it, and and or you have two goes and if miss. you trade up both picks. But yeah, we'll see. I do think Carolina they're the most desperate, and they have the most. I mean, if you add Brian Burns, the sixth pick, and even just one other first, forget three um forget two more i would be thrilled i mean can you imagine if we let's say we draft kyle hamilton at three and we get Kayvon thibodeau at six or thibodeau and then we got brian burns back in a trade that's talking about 
a transformation where suddenly Lovey's defense is competitive. Uh, I would love a trade with Carolina or Washington. They feel equally desperate in terms of yeah. making the commanders relevant. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people have pushed Chase Young out there. I watched, I went and dug out the tape of Chase Young last year, and it ain't pretty. So, you know, <laughs> I think, you know, obviously all the talent in the world would be instantly better than ever than we have on paper, mm-hmm. yes, injured last year. For me, I think if you take a big name back or a, or, a, or a rising star, the issue is you then have to pay them perhaps two to three years earlier than the players you start taking this year. And if you think mm-hmm. of our development curve and where that's headed, you probably want to hold off paying as many kind of you know cornerstone pieces as you can. So I would always be in the favour of picks, but also if you mm. take picks, then it's a risk because obviously you've got to hit on them, and the and the hit rate just regardless. If if even if Nick Casario is the the best talent evaluator ever in the history of the game, you know that some people on Twitter will tell you is after a five man draft last year. Um, you know that even if he is like there is going to be misses. There's no guarantee. And also those picks are, we don't know where they're going to come in in the future. That's one of the reasons I would take a guy like Burns or a guy like Young, even Jonathan Allen, just because you know, okay, this is a player who's very good in the league and it gets harder to hit on picks further in the draft. Like if if those picks are, if Watson is who we say he is and the player that we saw in Houston, those picks are probably coming in between 20 and 30 and that is the part of the draft when it starts to become a bit of a crapshoot. And it's harder to find those foundational positions that you really need, like edge rush or like tackle. Uh, so I wouldn't mind paying someone. I, I don't know what your opinion, this would be a whole thing that we don't even have on the schedule, but I don't think that Houston's rebuild plan can be longer than two years. So if you're getting a guy in his two, three years, top three years is really pushing it. But any plan in the NFL, once you think you have a quarterback in place or once you started to strip it down, I think two to three years max. And I'm not afraid to pay a guy in their mid twenties. Cause at some point, like when we watched the Cleveland Browns start to turn a corner, when they overpaid Jarvis Landry, cause they had to signal to the league that they wanted to be competitive. At some point you do have to bring in good football players. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we'll, we'll, we'll find out where, um, where the desire for, you know, free agents in the next couple of weeks. Just before we get to that, the coach and staff picked up some of Caserio's comments. You know, in true style, said a lot, but didn't really say much uh, of any substance. Um, one thing he did say was though about Lovey, and he, he said very clearly his staff. And I'm assuming he's you know because he I, he is he's shown to hear, read, and listen to things uh, more than I ever thought he would because he often makes comments at the start of media conferences or he'll reference it in the next interview about. Somebody said something about him, <laughs> so he definitely, uh, he definitely hears it all. Um, but he, he definitely, you know, intentionally said, Lovey's coaching staff. I always think, well, certainly for this year, after the James Camden experiment, I'm going to keep my powder dry enough. I think it's a good hire or not. Trying to read the CV online and just see where it gets you. I think your two most important coaches and the two most impressive interviews certainly uh, were George Warhol, La laterally at, um, at uh, Jacksonville and uh, and Jacques Cesar um, which was a, a both very kind of imposing um, very hard-nosed traditional kind of football coaches which I think we need I don't think we've had enough of that I think we've had a lot of yes men in the past we've had a lot of kind of nice kind of you know might be Preach. technically sound um, but yeah I thought both those guys to me 
at least felt like leaders and it f- at least felt like um, they, they would hold their players accountable in, in that position group room and they were the two that stood out for me. Did you have any any thoughts on the on the coaching stuff? I like Warhop too. I think he has a, a good track record or as good as we were going to get. Um, it looks like the guys that they did bring in for the offensive line, they're going to be – it fits with Pep Hamilton's desire to have a run-first offense and I think that's something – I can't remember the last time I trusted the Houston Texans to run the ball. And I feel like yeah. that's the kind of staff they put together. Who was the other guy you were talking about? Uh, Jack, Jack Cesar. He has a defensive line coach. Um, okay. Both very complimentary of Lovey. Um, both, you know, said they were desperate to work for him again. Um, and seemed like good guys. I think obviously, you know, Ben McDaniels has been promoted. A couple of names that you, you've kind of seen here and there before. Um, mm-hmm. So all in all, it seems a good, but I think you need to reserve judgment because ultimately it's partly it's to do with the input of the ingredients and the quality of players they get. Um, and then you've got to start with a base of something to get an output there. So, you know, time will tell on that. I'm, I'm not going to make any proclamations of who I think is going to transform a positional unit because they need players to do that uh, with. But Pep Hamilton is a darling of many people's eyes. I keep seeing this. Um, I'm not quite sure why. Um, and uh, it's on my to-do list this off-season reached out to a couple of people in Indianapolis just to talk to them and go back through some of the tape with them from the Andrew Luck years, which I have started, but um, balancing that, draft prospects, free agency, it'll probably sort of me by the time I get into it properly. you got a lot of tape to watch. But there's a lot of tape to watch. Um, but but there's, a, there's an overwhelming sense of, yeah, okay, you know, um, there, was, there was good, but how much of that was Luck's talent and how much of it you know, lacerated his spleen and got him, you know, and made it made a transcendent generational talent retire early. And I think, you know, you've got to, people seem to forget that again, convenient truths and selective memories. Um, but yeah, I want to go, I want to really dig into that. What's your thoughts on, on Pep Hamilton? Because I'm not sure yet, I'm going to reserve judgment for when I do it, but I just think from, from everything I know anecdotally, I, I, I think people are a little bit ahead of themselves in terms of what he's going to bring and transform anything this year. I mean, I've been extremely complimentary of Pep Hamilton. We'll see if I end up embarrassing myself with those comments but for me what sells it what sells it is his reputation around the league i think six teams oh yeah yeah ended up interviewing him for i mean i think chicago the giants brought him in the panther he denied an interview request to the panthers jacksonville interviewed him we interviewed him and then you have guys like benjamin albright who are as plugged in of anybody in the league and he's the first name he says like guys to watch for head coaching uh candidacy next year it uh, looks like he has a fantastic reputation league-wide. What he did with Davis Mills this this past season, it was rough at the beginning, as I think it would be expected to be for anyone working with this roster who was a third-round draft pick in the rain in Buffalo. But if you look at those last six games, it's really as, as good as we possibly could have imagined with Mills. He engineered an offensive rookie of the year season with Herbert. And then I was looking, I haven't looked at the the film. It's not really my thing at this stage of my life. Uh, but yeah, it's, numbers, it's hours you don't get back, trust me. It's a, it's a sick, sick hobby, I think, of a master. Exactly. <laughs> you love it. You're good at it, too. I, I I need more practice, I think, to be really good at it and to feel confident talking about what I believe I'm seeing. But what, what I had, what I did look at is the numbers. And there were some really good offenses in Indianapolis. And what I don't understand is, it looks like he was fired midway through a season where Andrew Luck played only seven games. And I know I do think there is some responsibility on the offensive coordinator to make sure that your guys don't get hurt. 
But at the same time, talent really is going to dictate how many times your quarterback gets hit. I don't think the Bengals could have put together any better game plan to get the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands quickly in the Super Bowl. And we still saw at the end of the day, the game was decided by he got hit and he got hit a lot. Uh, so, I mean, Andrew Luck never had a good offensive line. I would be very curious to hear what you find out from Indianapolis people. But for me, Pep Hamilton is the star at the top of the coaching staff that we brought in because he is the biggest unknown and he has the most vertical mobility, I believe, compared to Lovey Smith. Very well-known commodity. I think we know exactly what we're going to see from his defense. He started to change it up a little bit at the end of last season. But largely, we know uh, Lovey loves his Tampa yeah. too. And like we think we understand what we're going to see from him. Pep, it's been seven years since he was an offensive coordinator. And since then, everything he's put on the field has looked good. It feels like we might have had a bit of a steal here to get this guy at offensive coordinator at this stage of his career compared yeah. to the trajectory he was on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of wary of how much, you know, people's interviews as, as agent, agent kind of... Uh, forces to to get their name in the media uh not saying that teams weren't interested i don't i think they were and and they should be um but yeah i'm interested to get into that over the summer and try and really understand my own perception you know understanding more than anything else about um what what it'll look like but as you said it's been a long time so yeah i mean you you know experience changes your view at you know certain things at times you have principles that he wants to run by um it was I've seen you and many people get flack for kind of a sort of any kind of grounding or uh, objectivity around Davis Mills. I think for me, I, I said to somebody the other week there that I said, look, it's until I can watch him beat man coverage for four quarters, then I'll, then then I think it becomes a debate. Um, but but until then, I, I I it's not a debate. It's an unfair debate to say either way because mm-hmm. one, there's the 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 data collection is so limited. Um, and what you have seen, there's too much. There's too much variance in those data points of good, bad, and and uh, and soft yards and garbage time. So you know the the second half against Tennessee, if he can play like that, you know two thirds of the time, then you've got a serviceable guy there. Um, but again, you've got to think. You know Tennessee's secondary was not fit to take them into the depths of the playoffs. So um, or defend the pass on a regular basis with any any uh, suitability for the quality of players that they're playing against. So, I, you know, I think we've got to take a powder dry. I, you, yeah, I feel a lot of people have got their emotions involved. And, and I think when you go through Absolutely. a lot of trauma, and when you go through a lot of trauma like this fan base has done, it's natural to, to uh, again, like, you know, the, almost the, the inverse of, uh, of, of the Easterby stuff. You want to try and believe that there's something there when there's not. Um, or you know, or, or you don't have any logical reason to to or objective reasons to do so. So you know, there there will be times where you know there'll be rough tape again in year two, um, but hopefully Pep and yeah. him can combine to be something that's that's different. And I think different will be good. You know, at least for the first few weeks until we, you know the results will really materially kick in. Uh, because yeah. I mean, I think everybody was so sick of that old scheme, and I think they're glad to see the back of it. I mean, like we. It, like I said earlier, fandom is a disease. And I think on the opposite of the Easter bee, which is talking yourself, well, this might be talking yourself out of another negative idea that Davis Mills could be a very average quarterback. We saw glimpses of greatness from, and we also saw some really bad, like you said, no one, no one knows what's going to happen with Davis. I told someone the other day, 
Like right now, the Twitter discussion borders on anti-intellectual, the way it's going about people. It feels very emotional. He feels like the positive emotional crutch of the team. People either love him or they want to write him off. And the, the thing is, either way, we probably haven't seen enough. When yeah. we talk about potential free agents, uh, we can go over quarterbacks who we think might bring out the best in him. But the matter of fact is until we see it in year two, when defenses have tape on him and probably take the Texans a little more seriously than they did this past year in terms of, okay, these are the throws that we know he struggles to make. Let's try to force those onto the field. We're not going to know who Davis is. And there's not a great way to upgrade. So in the meantime, just get ready to watch him in year two. Do you know that said? I know we're looking at those names to back up quarterbacks, and you do have to bring somebody in because I think if he needs to unequivocally, undeniably earn that starting spot through training camp. You know, you give him the reps, you give him off every opportunity, but if he's outperformed by, which I think both would be perfect to, and some sort of satire, sort of black comedy element to it as well. But I think you know somebody like Andy Dalton, um, you know, would be fine um, to 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 bring in because. You know, if Andy Dalton beats him out or is mm-hmm. or is, is required to play due to form and form alone, then you know that the, the, the debate at that point, you know, is uh is sealed. And I think, you know, perhaps even somebody like Trevor Simeon, you know, who's never going to be good enough to be in the starting quarterback in the league. So, you know, if you get that comparison point early, you you probably want somebody like that, partly because the market forces will dictate that, but then it'll also give you a litmus test exactly where he is going into year two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and all going well. These guys are just afterthoughts and they're holding clipboards. But I think yeah, you want somebody like that that can that can come in and 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 just and just prove and, and just prove to themselves that they're no longer, you know, starting quarter caliber quarterbacks. quarterbacks yeah and I think you need that I think you need you need people that I think you want to bring somebody in who's still got ambitions to be a starter rather than somebody mm-hmm. who's who's delighted just to be there um, and that's why plenty, plenty of those that's why I don't love Simeon but I think I'd be okay with Andy Dalton a name I've written a lot about is Marcus Mariota I would really like yeah. to just have yeah. him for read option packages on uh, yeah, short yardage stuff. or even yeah, goal yeah. lines because so, the matter of fact is we don't have a lot of talent so any wrinkles that pep can add to the offense that you force defenses to prepare for in the coming week i think would be good if there's a few marcus Mariota sub packages that defenses are having to think about like okay we might see this on third and one fourth and two at the goal line and thing about marcus and dalton is both of those guys really want to start uh, you saw dalton this year he was not super receptive to the idea of I think at some point he started to admit, like, once Justin Fields is taken, he knows that his time's done. But Dalton said, this is my team. Uh, Marcus Mariota, I think, wants another opportunity to start. And I think we need someone who's between the 28th and the 40th best quarterback in the NFL. Because you're right. If Davis Mills can't beat a guy like that, then we have our answer. And it, sh- it should be very evident in the preseason that he's better than the- those guys, too. Yeah. So I'm hoping they don't bring in – I'd be disappointed if they brought in someone who was so so much a backup at this stage that it wasn't a challenge. Like if they brought in Joe Flacco, I'd be very disappointed because that's not – at his sta- like at this stage of his career, that's not a challenge for Davis Mills. And yeah, paycheck. Anybody with mobility, I think, you know, Mario would be a great one because I think, you know, he would have – if he had come out the same year in 2014 rather than 15, he would have probably been – O'Brien's pick. I think everybody, uh, everybody bought that. I thought, you know, he looked, 
you know, he had so many different offensive coordinators. Obviously, he's never done it anywhere. He's played preseason. He's in Vegas last year. And, but he, they had packages for him. So as you said, you know, if if Josh McDaniels goes a different way there, then yeah, I think you know, definitely worth worthwhile kicking the tires on those guys. And I think what what the big this team's biggest need is undoubtedly is the, of the interior of the offensive line because when you think of the mobility and the sort of pliability of Davis Mills, the interior pocket being sealed in a, in a way that gives it integrity for him to step into his throws is probably more important than the edge because he's shown a good mobility just to slide up forward a couple of steps into the throw um, and get his, get a comfortable release point on on his launch on his launches of his throws. So I think there's there's the, the interior market right now doesn't mean good re- good reading. Um, and I think there's a couple of guys who are going to get paid um, quite handsomely and perhaps more than their skill set would suggest just because, you know, when I was looking through the list, I was very close to just, I think you could do a lot worse than bringing back Ben Jones at centre. You know, that's that's the, the level of... Uh, of of kind of of kind of quality out there. What do you, what do you think about sort of shoring up that? I mean, interior? I would if if I'm willing to spend money at a position, guard is certainly one of them because, frankly, it's felt like all three interior positions the last few years have been pretty weak. And I would love to sign a guy where you pay him and okay, we can forget about that guard spot. Like let's turn to the next two because any any stability on that line, like you said, is going to allow Davis Mills to. Uh, take the next best step forward. I do have my concerns about the market because like you said, there are a few guys who look like they're going to get well paid. And if the market follows, every team needs offensive linemen. uh, We could end up having to overpay for someone. But I mean, a name I was looking at, uh, James Daniels from the Chicago Bears. He's 24 years old and you were tweeting about him today. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I, well, I watched about three plays and thought, oh. chance, no chance we're going to sign him. Uh, I thought, yeah, 24 years old, Iowa product. Um, and he, he drove back Eric Armstead significantly uh, in the run game. And I just stopped watching at that point because I thought whenever he's going to get priced out. I think he's I think he was projected to earn about eight million a year. But when I was watching the team, I thought, no, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, not a star player, but a highly quite clearly a very highly functional starter, good anchor, good with his hands at the point of attack, good in the run game, able to move bodies. And uh, yeah, it became very clear after about two series. I just thought, yeah, this guy's probably probably going to get re-signed there. But then when when you just kind of look into the content around his re-signing, it was almost the fact, there was almost a... a a, a reluctance to to see him, or or a, or a realization that they might see him go, because they, you know, people in Chicago think they might get priced out of their their um, their own their own building. Now that's a a former O lineman that they've hired as uh, mm. as GM, so he may well pay him and value that position playing it himself. But yeah, I just thought after a couple of stamps, I thought, yeah, no, next. <laughs> that's my bad. Shows what I know. Uh. <laughs> well, do you know? I didn't know either. I and I, I, I um and and Ruben from the seven one three. Uh, channel on YouTube. He's been on a couple of times. He's talked about him for a long time. So I've been aware of the name, but you know, I watched mm-hmm. the watched the tape and I thought, yeah, well, next sort of thing. Because I think when you look at the list, there's a, there's uh, Bozeman the center from uh, from the Ravens. There's a couple of other guys there, but they're going to get they're either going to get re-signed, which I think, and you know, people in Baltimore don't really leave if they're a good quality, um, and they'll take it and they'll work out a deal there. Um, but I think you're going to be bargain bargain basement shopping. Uh, 
this off season, I think. And uh, Ted Carras was a name that I watched. I just watched back our, our game against them last year. Um, you know, quick mobility um, out in space. So I think, you know, literally running the same kind of scheme we're probably going to expect to run here in the run game. And uh, yeah, he was he was lead blocker, can pull, can transition. He's, he's mass into power quite quickly at the point of attack. So yeah, I thought Ted Carras was a good one. Um, he was three million one-year deal in New England. Had a cup of coffee in Miami for a year and three million one-year deal as well. So I think you could do worse than that. But I think that's probably where we're going to be shopping this year, I think. If there was a money you would be willing to spend, I mean, if there was a position you would be willing to spend big money at, where would that be? Well, I think you just have to get the interior right. I think, you know, and I I think that the whole Mills debate is is a concern because you, you think, well, you're to give him a fair crack of the whip, you know, people say you got to get pieces around him and 100% you do, but how quickly do you do that? Um, and what quality can you do this off season? What can you can can you amass through free agency and and mm-hmm. the draft and every draft prospects developmental? So the surest thing you're going to get in there and and buy the names in that interior. That's going to be a concern going into this year. You know, and a, a guy that I thought is a potential. And again, it's it's you know, I, well, I, I I if you look at the list, Trey Turner's there bouncing around. Was at the Chargers. Um, over at Pittsburgh, watch five, ten minutes of him. Just su- such a contrast between him and Daniels, just stiff, lack mm. of mobility, kind of looks laboured. Don't know if he was hurt last year, but yeah, you know, watched him and thought, well, he's probably not worth the money you're going to pay him, you know, put, you know, in his late 20s, going to the 30s. Uh, the Mark, Glen- Mark Glenowski from from uh, the Colts, I think, you know, he's a guy that, you know, that's the type of guy you want. Somebody, you know, maybe a, a sort of marginal B-rate player that you might have to pay B-plus money for. I think that, you know, ultimately overpaying free agency, that is the, the the nature of the market and how it's set up. But, you know, somebody like that may be a plus. But the, the, the guy who's only played 50% of the snaps in the last two years was injured halfway through the season, came in, played about sort of eight or nine weeks for uh, Buffalo, was Ike Bottegger. Um He's a former Iowa Product just same as Daniels, um, probably would have crossed pass in the draft. Yeah, would be the same class, and uh, obviously a much less polished prospect. Um, but certainly, you know, there was some good tape. There was some bad tape. Um, he was on a restricted tender last year. They didn't sign him on a restricted this year. Um, but I thought there was some good tape. And I always try and watch them against our divisional opponents if I can because mm-hmm. that gives you the most closest point of reference you know when he's going up against Grover Stewart and the Colts who really given him a, a a fight for his fight for his, his paycheck that week he sealed the edge in a nice inside cutback run um, and he uh, and and you know a lot of the stuff was manufactured runs trying to stretch the edges to get Josh Allen out into space and, and all that kind of stuff but yeah I thought he held his own in the two games I watched I watched him against New Orleans as well didn't quite kind of live up to the same heights that he did ironically the, the, the good game he had was a game they lost heavily and the, the, the less so um, quality performance was a game they won handedly so you know make of that what you will um, for his uh, for his output but I thought yeah there's something there to like and I mean look it's it's a shot in the dark but I think if you think of Nick Cassero is very close to Kurt Ferenc in that Iowa program so there's a you know there's a linkage there uh, but yeah I think he, he he got out in space well and uh, and, he, and his pass protection was fine not the best puller um, in terms of just kind of getting around and, and uh, setting his feet when you get to the point of attack on the move which is a difficult skill uh, for guards and only you know a few are elite at it but yeah interesting one I think yeah that, that's a spot they're going to have to try and find a solution to um, I don't think you bring back Justin Britt um, this year not for my money I just think 
I think when you watch him in the wrong game, yeah, serviceable, but uh, pass protection is too leaky at times. Gets what he oversets um, and uh, and anchors down too much. I think almost like he's kind of scared to get bull rushed because it'd be embarrassing for him if he sees kind of character in the, in the media, um, and uh, he just kind of oversets and and uh, at times is, is beaten beating predominantly, you know, kind of swim moves over over the sort of kind of sharper angles to the quarterback. So, yeah, for me, I think that's the concern, John, I think, is how we're going to plug potentially all three gaps, I think. I mean, I'd, I would say I bring Jimmy Morrissey back, though. I think he's worth a worth another look this year. What would you pay him? Well, he's a restricted free agent, so he'll, yeah, it's, it's predetermined. It'll be about 800k, so it's a, it's a free bet, really. Wow. Yeah. I would do that, too. I mean, there aren't a lot of people that I want to bring back that are impending three agents and there are even more guys I want to cut. But yeah, I'd be I'd be happy bringing Jimmy back as well. I think yeah. the offensive line, it's not something we're going to fix in one offseason as much as we'd like to. What you said, maybe if we can get one B player in the building who we have to pay B plus money, and then maybe you get another guy in the draft if one of those first four picks, one of those top 100 picks, uh, even just fixing two of those spots would, I think that buys a lot more time for Davis Mills. So I can't speak on offensive line to the the level of proficiency that you can, but even I know that's probably going to determine a lot of the success or lack thereof of this football team during the upcoming year. And, you know, the contrast of watching these other guys, I think, you know, particularly Bo, uh, Botigger as well, which I liked, was he would he would throw a block and then he would he would and then he would look back inside constantly. So, you know, before the quarterbacks released it, he's made contact with two rushers. And I, I couldn't tell you the last time I've seen a Texas, you know, offensive lineman just even do something as simple as that, just looking for work and and just be in the in the level of organization, I think as well with Stark, you know, and the understanding of what they're trying to do, and and a lot of uh, other teams' run games are so simple. Um, in comparison, as you know, we're running fifteen different concepts on a Sunday and and, and are terrible at them all. Um, whereas you know, if you look at you know, just look at our division against uh, Tennessee, they run, mm-hmm. you know, inside zone to the left, inside zone to the right couple of mix-ups here and there and that's about it you know it's not there's not a huge array of, of but they but they do it and execute those plays at a really high level regardless of the personnel up front you know David Quisenberry's extended his career when you would have assumed he would never play a down after leaving with all his cancer troubles and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff so yeah I, I just it was a huge contrast watching these guys um, and I think up front as well, the Texans need to find only, you know, Casario talked about this today, only one body at tight end in Brevin Jordan, who we don't know if he can block yet. It's certainly not on tape. Um, might not have the frame or the mass to do so. Um, in terms of tight ends, um, any names there you think we can look to look to try and add to this roster? I've written on OJ Howard. I really like him. I think that we have not seen everything that he can offer in Tampa Bay. He kind of got the short end of the stick where right he where he was coming into his own. Tom Brady arrives in town and it is very well understood how Tom Brady feels about his veteran receivers, about having his guys on the field. Um, Rob Gronkowski comes out of retirement. Obviously he becomes Brady's favorite guy to throw to on the field, let alone at the tight end position. And then Howard tears an Achilles, which is a significantly more difficult injury to deal with than an ACL halfway through the 2020 season. And by the time he's back in 2021, Cameron Brate has worked his way up into the rotation, developed a rapport with Brady. And we don't really see a lot of OJ Howard. Uh, I think he's going to be a value add at a position that 
there are going to be some guys who get paid serious money. Uh, Dalton Schultz, Mike Jacecki, I expect them to sign huge contracts. Yeah. Even Zach Ertz for a team that wants to throw the ball a lot. I think Howard, he was considered the best blocking tight end on the Bucks when they are one of their best too. I guess obviously Greg's a very good blocker. It's part of why he's a Hall of Famer. But uh, when when Howard went down, the writing in Tampa Bay was okay. Now they only have one blocking tight end, so obviously he can block. And you're not picked that high, and you don't put up his receiving numbers that he did during his first three years in the league, uh, without an ability to catch the ball and some athleticism after the catch. I think Howard would be an extremely reasonably priced player that needs an opportunity for volume if he wants to get a big uh, big second contract, which. Other, I mean, this is the first time he's off the rookie deal, or he might have come back last year on a very short one, on a inexpensive one year contract. But I like OJ Howard a lot, and I think he could do the blocking requirements that Pep Hamilton is preaching. Tight ends will have to do in his offense. What about you? Yeah, it's interesting to see. I need to go and try and watch. See, see. I mean, it's been a, a guy who's not fulfilled his potential. I think, and that's the type of guys we probably want to go after. You know, people that had elite traits that made a front office pick them at the top end of a draft and hadn't realised their potential for health, luck, mentality, situation, you know, whatever it might be. That strategy is something you've seen other teams and it does pay off every so often. Um, but, you know, even if you can get a mid-level starter rather than the star they were meant to be, then that's probably something, you know, that, that could pay dividends in terms of a, a player acquisition strategy. I think for me, for, for a true Y tight end, but when I say true, it's probably not a true Y tight end, but I don't think there's that many of them in the league. And I say Y, I mean, total inline blocker. And then um, Tyler Conklin, who played a lot of snaps last year um, for uh, Minnesota, um, not the most smoothest route runner. He's not going to show too many people a clean pair of heels. Um, I don't think that's not necessarily his game, but a very able, willing blocker. They were happy to let him go and um, either cross the formation or just sit out and, and take one of the, the four-man fronts. And I watched them against uh, San Francisco just to try and give a barometer of, of you know, one of the better fronts in the National Football League and, and, he, and he held his own in that. Um, he had almost 600 yards last year, which was his career high. Um, he's, he's an undrafted or late round pick from Central Michigan, um, so not necessarily a more glamorous position um, or any kind of, you know, certainly not going to sell jerseys and he's certainly not going to um, excite too many fans, but I think we need as many role players as we can find and I think he was definitely one that that would um, that would certainly be an inline blocker that would be at a serviceable level, c can catch the pass, good set of hands, um, on him uh, when he gets free and just sitting, you know, sitting in the open zone um, to do that, and I think he would he potentially be a low cost um, free agent because the difference between this market and the interior guys is there's a lot of names and you know, there's a lot of household names that are going to get paid on reputation um, and potential upside, and Conklin wasn't particularly one of the the sexier names that jumped off the off the list um, for me. And I then Oh, sorry. No, there you go. I said I thought he filled in great after because uh, Irv Smith was supposed to be their number one tight end this year, yep. correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went down with an injury in the preseason. And I think Tyler Conklin's a name a lot of people are going to be familiar with just from fantasy football. He was a like he he ended up with a top twenty fantasy tight end season. And like you said, that's not even his strength. Uh, he's more of a a blocking guy. I thought he had a great year. I'd I'd be happy bringing a guy like Conklin because the marginal improvements will show on a team of this level of talent. Yeah, and I think there's 
there's something to be said of just having another sure hand, you know, at the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. um, to block. Um, and I think that's that's going to be key because we've not really had consistency. We've either had penalties from Pharaoh Brown, um, which you know obviously you don't expect them back, and um, and and just a, a number of a number of uh, a number of kind of miscues. You know, you think from um, <clears throat> from the last couple of years, we've just not quite had you know tight ends that can be. Assured, I think in the in the blo- in the pass blocking game, which is you know a big part of it. It's less so as the game becomes, you know, five wides and empty sets and what have you. But I think he's won a hybrid, which is probably he's probably not a true F, but he did show some blocking. Um, obviously was in at Penn State, was at Pittsburgh, uh, had a year in Detroit, I think, before last year being in Chicago. But Jesse James was another name on my list. I watched his game. Uh, today for and I was actually reasonably impressed with Justin Fields. I, I think he gets a little bit of a, obviously there's some horrendous mistakes there, but what you, what you do see in that athleticism, coached in the right way, um, could be you know could be uh, could be something. But yeah, I thought Jesse James was good. Um, he's a bit sort of lighter than uh, Conklin, who's like two two forty two two four five. Um, he's probably sort of two two uh, two twenty uh, pounds, but he's got the kind of you know that that sort of mobility for somebody who's Who's uh, who's for six foot four? So I think he's kind of, you know, a leaner frame, uh, but a far more polished route runner, um, and can do some blocking. You know, can 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 be the the second tight end in the line of scrimmage behind Cole Komet um, in that in that offense. But yeah, I thought Jesse James is a potential guy. You know, and, and ultimately we're going to have to take some journeymen because you know they they we will have to be that will have to be the crowd that we appeal to. Um, on his third or fourth team, you know, whoever that might be. But I thought Jesse James might be an option. I remember in Pittsburgh, he looked, you know, a, quite a promising player at one point. Hasn't quite realised that potential. Obviously, you know, it's not a position that they predominantly pay in Pittsburgh, you know, and you see what they've done with Pat Freermuth and, and guys like that. There is a lot of people you can draft, so we may only, you know, we may only sign one blocking guy and, and hope to pick it up. But we'll need to find camp bodies and we'll need to find guys that can, Absolutely. That can come in on, you know, on relatively low, you know, number of deals. You know, hopefully we're not as in the same uh, volume of, you know, one and two million dollar deals here and there. I, I think we'll be pretty close though. I don't think we're going to be yeah. too far away from that. Um, but hopefully, you know, we do sign. But I think Casario said that, didn't he? Uh, John, last week in the, in the team meeting, he, you know, he talked about sign. And again, he said it today, talked about you know can you sign one player versus three and I think mm-hmm. where we are this off season I think he's more we likely need... to take the three spread the risk um, and, and, and go down that route especially with I mean we don't talk about it all that much or at least I don't see the fan base talking about it but we're not in a good cap situation and we have I think somewhere between 15 and 17 million dollars but there is so much dead money right now. I don't think people realize just how- 35, 36 million dollars, yeah, dead money. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's twice yeah. as much as our current available cap space. And when we had to sign this many guys and you only have X amount of money, it means that you do have to take some veterans who aren't very sexy signings because you need chances. That you, you have to have a certain amount of people on the roster. And the more, like you said, three guys versus one, I think Casario just wants chance. He wants he wants shots at solid starters. He doesn't need a superstar. Like we said about Howard, if you can get the most out of him, you, you don't you don't even have to just get eighty percent of what you think he might be. That's a huge upgrade for this team, and that's how it's going to be with a lot of our signings. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's there is flexibility in that number. 
Um, because I think if you if you cut Cannon, if you cut or, or restructure Fairburn, I would say mm-hmm. cut Eric Murray, you can cut Kevin Pierre Lewis, cut Jimmy Moreland, who's on two and a half million next year, and you never saw anything out of him last year. Uh, Jordan Jenkins. I don't think you need him and Demarcus Walker, and Demarcus Walker's half the cap hit um, if you bring him back on the same money. And Justin McRae, um, if you cut all those guys, um, that'll give you... When can they cut Marcus Cannon? I'm surprised that has... No been... dead money, zero dead money on his contract, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's almost 23 million right there with those guys. And I don't think, you know, assuming you can restructure, that's based on a one and a half million dollars saving them on Fairburns against the cap, which I think is more than doable. So, you know, that would, would allow you to sign a number of guys on the defence um, and give you $17 million to go play before, you know, the big three contracts, which are very, very top-heavy um, on the architecture of this cap and how it's laid out right now. Wait, do you want to bring Fairburn back for another season? Like, would you be... If, at a lower cap, but yeah, I mean, if you want to convert it to signing bonus or what have you... He's, a, he's an Easterby guy, so he'll be here. You know, there's a reason why Derek Rivers was signed after hardly playing this year and was one of the first names re-signed for this year, you know. So, hmm. um, like, uh, they might not come to an agreement, but Gruger Hill, he's another one. You know, he'll be back uh, as long as they can get the money to work. I'd be excited about bringing him back. I, I at the right price, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, right I, I think you've got to be careful of those guys, haven't you? And it's the same with in the draft as well, one-year production guys, because... You know, there is circumstances that were different that allowed them to do it one year versus the five or six in their career up to this point where they did not perform. So, yeah, you've got to be you've got to be careful in free agency, mm-hmm. I think. And I don't think Casario will overpay uh, for his own. I certainly don't think he'll overpay out the building. Um, that's for sure. I think another position we're going to have to have a huge turnover again, particularly if you cut Kevin Pierre Lewis, like we said, is linebacker. You got any names um, on your list there, John? Linebacker, a name I was looking at. I haven't really looked at the linebacker class, but a name just looking at who was available uh, in the class is Aziz Alsher is a restricted free agent from San Francisco. And this is a guy that I don't know. Well, restricted free agency is complicated, but they're in some, some cap issues. And obviously Jimmy Garoppolo might free up a lot of money, but they already have a lot of money dedicated to that linebacker group. And if there was any way he got away, he started, I believe, all every, I think he had over 100 tackles for the Niners last year. That was a big name I've looked at, but I've been looking more at the draft for linebacker than the free agent class. Who did you see that you liked? You know, I, I watched one game and then I flipped on the tape again, another game and he wasn't out there, but I watched the game against Minnesota just when I was watching Conklin. Um, and he's, I think he's about 220, so he's a lighter linebacker. He was on the right of the three most of the time they didn't really rotate him so he got caught in a misalignment and and uh justin jefferson beat him on a wheel route so i'll not hold that against him but he did i, I did try and send you the video but it didn't work on on the on the chat box but he actually picked off garoppolo um and took it back into the into the red zone um and just kind of got in the passing lane and i'm sorry um kirk cousins didn't pick up his own quarter um yeah and um and took it back to the house so um yeah, a light guy, good lateral mobility, I thought, and I know, and a, and a, and a sort of kind of good kind of almost like a corner kind of defensive back in his, some of his movement skills. So you can see why he's on there. He's very much a role player. He comes off the field at times for them. Um, but yeah, and it was an interesting uh, evaluation. I I thought you know he's a lighter guy. You know, probably you know he's a he's a 
Kim, uh, Gruger Hill replacement perhaps I know he gets downhill mm. and shoots gaps a lot more but yeah no he looked like a guy and that, again that these are these names that people you know I ha- certainly hadn't heard of today and if you're listening I don't blame you if you've not heard of them either but these will be the kind of guys you know when we signed Tavir Thomas last year never heard of him we signed we've re-signed T Davis as well that's formally announced today you know hadn't heard of him but you know there was guys in there that came in and did a job so I think you know there's there's definitely uh there's, you know, there's definitely not. You don't want to have the snobbery of of the names because we're certainly not dining at that at that top table. A name I had and um, difficult one. So Josie Joe was a guy that Caserio had worked out in New England, um, and I thought he he was injured in week two this year. Had played three full years for Denver. Um, potential fit, um, but I think there's a mutual interest there with George Payton and the, the GM going into his first kind of full off-season. He's going to, re- looks like a resign him on that one. Jermaine Carter was a name that also Casario worked out. I think he was at Maryland, um, but obviously number four sort of uh, on for Caroline. Obviously we saw him on Thursday Night Football and Davis Mills' mm-hmm. his, his debut and it, he comes off the field in obvious passing downs. Obviously you've got Shaq Thompson in there who's kind of you know, they do it all linebacker and there's not many like him. So he kind of takes preference, but a willing tackler kind of gets his eyes caught in the backfield a little bit and tries to block their own gaps at times. I watched his game against Dallas just to get a feel for Dalton Schultz because I haven't really watched much of him uh, beyond the Thanksgiving Day game uh, this year. So, yeah, he was he was an interesting name. I think, you know, again, scrappy, a, a bit rough around the edges but potentially a comeback at a value. And I think, you know, it looks like Carolina or, you know, from everything I read, certainly looks like they're perhaps leading towards, you know, drafting at that position as well. And that may well be the, you know, if you bring back Christian Kirksey, then, you know, you you maybe put a couple of guys either side of him that he can coach through and, and and then in a year's time you, you sort of draft these replacements sort of thing if you're if you if you've got, you know, an excess of capital to do so. But linebacker's a tough one, I think, particularly in this scheme. Last year when you saw people continually not getting enough depth in their passing sets, getting caught out big holes in the zones, and it was so obvious and easy at times for teams, particularly that Carolina game was horrendous. You know, I mean, DJ Moore got, I think, 100 Mm -hmm. yards in a quarter. So, you know, I think we're going to have to get guys who are mobile, and I think, you know, he fits, um, Shazir fits that mould, definitely. Safety was another one uh, we looked at. You you had a name that I've seen you writing about, but... I think we've all talked about him. I think Quandre Diggs has become a quick fan favorite and he's someone I've had my eyes on just because I'll get into personal anecdote here. I started watching football in 2000, 2011 is probably the first full year I watched and he was on that Texas Longhorn team. I watched college before I watched the NFL. Uh, Tim, Tim Tebow's pass to Demarius Thomas in overtime against the Steelers is my first big NFL memory. And then from the next season on there, but anyways, Quandre Diggs, He's someone I've so I've essentially watched him his whole career, and he was a late round pick by Detroit, and he kind of found his way into a starting safety role there, and a second contract where he really started to shine before uh, he was shipped to Seattle for nothing. I think he was packaged with a seventh round pick for a fifth round pick, and then since he got to see like what a what a bargain for Seattle. So Seattle gave up this fifth rounder, and since then. Quanter Diggs has made two Pro Bowls. I believe he's 29 years old. He's a guy we would probably have to overpay, but what he would bring immediately to the secondary, I mean, we all talk about the offensive line. I mean, there's a lot of bad parts of this football team, but the secondary for the past three years, in my opinion, has been the hardest part of the football team to watch. We don't have any truly great players back there. It's often disorganized. We get burned a lot. Uh, If we weren't getting blown out, I think our uh, passing against numbers would be even worse than they are. Um, 
I think Quandre Diggs would bring a veteran presence. He would bring a high caliber starting safety there, and he can. I mean, he's just just a classic high high end or plays over the top for Lovey's Tampa too. Uh, Diggs is a name that I'm looking at. Yeah, no, I think so. And I, it's one of those ones, isn't it? It's a it's a position do you do you necessarily pay? I think Deshaun Elliott was he not also a, a UT guy? He's on the market uh, this year. Um, so yeah, I think guy like Ronnie Harrison, obviously he was in Jacksonville, trade to Cleveland. You know, you're, you're looking at younger guys um, on there. Justin Reed said mm-hmm. his goodbyes. I know he made some comments publicly, but I think that ship is he's well gone. Truly sailed. Yeah, you know, you've obviously got you know big big names out there that are going to, you know, that are going to get uh, money, whether it's at their, you know, incumbent club or, or, uh, or on the market. There is a number of names out there that, that, that potentially um, will, will cloud the market, you know, get, get people spend their cap dollars. And there's a number of busts in there, I think as well, isn't there? You know, you've got uh, Malik Hooker, um, Keanu Neal as well, um, and potentially Terrell Edmonds from Pittsburgh. So, you know, again, going back to that theme of potentially taking guys who were picked high in the draft, didn't live up to expectation. And I think safety is a kind of, is 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 so, um, is so scheme dependent, I think, because, you know, no bigger example was the way in which Cornell used Tyron Matthew. And then you saw him go and win a Super Bowl and be an All-Pro the next year. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so you saw that complete misuse of 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 his talents. Um, so you know, if if there's if there's guys out there, um, and I'm not an expert on cover two safeties and what they need to be, um, and what that skill set is, um, and well, time will tell. But I think that'll be you know, and it's a big important part because you know you're ultimately the the all C and I. You're the last line of defence, and um, as you said, when you got Lonnie Johnson backpedaling to the goal line. Um, um, and almost in, in row one. Um, I don't think that necessarily... One guy's into you. the end zone. Yeah, it doesn't set yourself up well for a good pass defence, and that has to improve this year um, if you're going to give the offence a, a chance to to uh, stay in games, I think. But yeah, Ronnie Harrison was a name that, you know, I think Alabama guy, obviously infamous, infamously, the as uh, Bill Polian referred to him, the, the quarterback who has some troubles, um, you know, jumped over him at Wembley Stadium doing this sort of Jordan... Um, figure uh, in at the end zone that wasn't called for some reason and they ended up having to take it back and run it in the end zone I think I think that was the one they maybe uh, passed off to Hopkins and that, oh, that does seem like a lifetime ago um, but yeah he was the guy in that play um, and you know Alabama product you know sure sure kind of uh, football IQ so you want kind of solid role fill players but again the safety market's probably somewhere you can you can pick up because there's a lot more names a lot more uh, you know volume of guys that you know potentially could faulty and have less options and again if you want somebody that's going to improve your team you'll have to overpay but but that was definitely definitely what um, for us in terms of uh, obviously I mean I, and I, I've probably been around the house of this John, but I just think that I, I, I've struggled, you know, before the last couple of days, I've not really looked into free agency at all because, you know, I keep going back to the fact that our way out of this, our main route to, you know, revising this roster and Casario today actually did for the first time use the word rebuild. But for me, I just, I just keep thinking, you know, and I've spent a lot more time in sort of mid-round prospects this year, but the draft's our main route um, to better days, I think. And that's, that's is that an opinion, sure? I mean, I do share that opinion of you. Absolutely. This is not a destination that high-end free agents are going to be attracted to. Even if we free up a lot of cap space, I don't think 
we could still bring in enough guys to fix this team. Bad, bad teams improve through the draft, and that's where we are right now. Uh, it's our it's our most realistic path to getting better quickly. I think that's why our fan base and why us who cover the team were so enamored talking about a Deshaun Watson or a Laramie Tunsil trade because it is the pathway to a lot of draft capital, and that's that's how you flip teams. So I've I've also been paying more attention to the draft. Yeah, I, I saw you did an article recently um, around the sort of paralysis by analysis that's often. Um, you know, Chris, or or are often a valid criticism of front office people in terms of the the uh, the, the process. I'm, I was quite you know enamoured actually by Casario saying actually I'm not too big fan of workouts personally. I'm more looking at their you know one to three year body of work um, as a starter at college. Um, what was your thoughts and what was your kind of takeaways on the sort of kind of recent downgrading of of KB on Thibodeau? Because when I studied them at the bye week. Okay, yeah, there's some obvious kind of like you know flaws there. No, there's there is you know there is very very few, if only one, true transcendent clear star on tape from college right now. But what was the what was the thoughts around talking about the the the, the thoughts on uh, or the overthink on on Thibodeau? I'm not going to be distraught if we take Thibodeau with with the number three pick. Uh, he's he's a incredible talent. I believe he was top five in his class coming out of high school. All he did upon getting to Oregon is dominate. Uh, it was all Pac-12 for two seasons. He was a consensus All-American this past year. Uh, he terrorized defenses. I mean, he turned down. I, I wonder if the conversation would be different if he had taken that offer from Alabama. He got himself in a bit of trouble this past uh, season running his mouth saying he picked Oregon because he wanted to go to more of an academic school than Alabama. Um, and I wonder if that's shaping how we're looking at a Pac-12 uh, line player versus an SEC or Big Ten where we historically see the big guys dominate. But I think Thibodeau is a, a great talent, and I would have no problem taking him. And historically, I'm I'm part of the I, – I love Kyle Hamilton. That's my guy. I think you're in the same boat as me. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That he yeah, was- I mean, I, I would challenge anybody that's not – have you sat and watched them in detail? Because I, I, I think it's it's almost impossible to watch Kyle Hamilton and not be completely enamored by his range mobility like you know he is he, he is he's superior in his in his play recognition to the vast majority you know i've i've sat and watched you know some terrible performances on the back end and good performances against us at times um but he just looks a step ahead of so many people even at the next level already so if you if you get that in you know and i think the argument is you don't well one you don't take a safety that high and two in Lovey's system, who we're, we're stuck with for two years, for good, better, or worse, is are you going to exceed the value from that pick down and down out? But I, I would challenge any coach if you got him, you'd find ways to use him. You know, and I was watching when I was watching uh, Jermaine Carter there, the amount of different looks in different positions. Um, that what's his name number twenty one takes up the the safety J- Jeremy Chin the, the 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 amount of different safety looks he takes up as a as a as a linebacker um, comes up at the well he'll blitz he'll go with tight ends you know everything you've seen that you know everybody's so enamored by that who and it'll be a second round pick and all this kind of stuff and you're talking about taking right at the top so I get that there's a lack of there's a disparity in value there but. I really just, I would say to anybody, go and watch He's all 22 against Bama and the Rose Bowl and tell me that's not, you know, a top three pick. I I, I struggle to see anyway, but I, I suppose I'm probably entrenched in my bias mm-hmm. now at this point. I mean, what I tell people is we're a really bad football team and we're not trying to win games next year. 
If we needed to win games next year, okay, I'm probably taking the edge rusher because the formula for winning is have a really good quarterback and make the other quarterback uncomfortable. But we're not there right now. Right now what we need is people who we know are very good football players. And if there's anyone in this class that I'm betting to be an all pro at their position in the next three years, it's Kyle Hamilton to be an all pro safety. Like he's just that good, that fluid, uh, the speed at which he can move or when he, he slows the game down when he needs to, the way he reads the field, the way he tackles it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's a great prospect. Yeah. I, I think the only tackler I've seen in terms of elite prospects um, is Andrew Booth from Clemson, who is an elite tackler. Um, they're probably kind of on a par with their tackling ability. Um, I think that's that's for sure. But yeah, I think that's one of his many many traits. Uh, I think of that are elite. Um, and you know, I've, I've been. This is the first year I'm trying to put a draft board together from my tape watching. And um, it's so far, so far, um, I split them into five categories, right? Um, but the day one blue chip is you know is kind of the kind of headline, which, you know, is a Miles Garrett, uh, Nick Bosa, you know, these kind of guys that are ready-made, take them out of the package and, and send them on their way, you know, and uh, you don't get many of them. And so far, Kyle Hamilton's the only one. I've, I've not watched everybody yet. Um, I think uh, Ikea Kwan, who's got a good chance of going number one, hope so, because I'll put some money on it. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think there's, 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 there's a, you could probably, you could probably pull all 32 teams this year and get a different consensus number one, um, but I think there would be a consensus on Kyle Hamilton being a prospect they would all love to take. They may they may just feel they can't at certain spots. But do you think uh, Casario finds a trade partner? Because I always go back to the 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 story. How much true it's not of the twenty nineteen draft it was either third or fourth. Mike Mayock's in there for his first draft. And uh, they w- they want to take Colin Farrell. He's their number one guy. Um, obviously, after Nick Bosa has gone to the 49ers at two, and um, they they don't find a partner to trade back, and they end up taking him. They are criticised for taking a player too high, um, but they he was the kind of guy they wanted in their building, and and uh, it didn't look great at the time. It's not looked great since. Um, but there wasn't enough top end elite talent on this on that draft um, to get any to to find a partner to trade up with. So. That's kind of my concern that maybe the situation facing Casario on April 28th. I would agree with that. I mean, for there to be a situation where we're able to trade down, I think very specific things would have to happen. All Houston fans should be watching the combine and more specifically the quarterbacks very closely this week because the best possible thing that could happen is, I mean, I think Kenny Pickett is too restricted athletically and the fact that he's a super senior, he's not going that high. But if Matt Corral or Malik Willis had a really great week and could convince somebody to come up and get them in the top five, that's one of the only scenarios I see where someone wants to trade up or maybe we're in a nice spot where the Jets at four, the Giants at five or six all need an offensive tackle. So maybe if Ikomwu from NC State went number one, you can convince somebody, hey, if you like Evan Neal more than Charles Cross, which I think the consensus is from what, you know, come up and get Neal if he's your guy. Or you're going to Denver and saying if you want to jump or Washington, if you're willing to go back to 11, which 
is where I personally start to get a little hesitant. I would like to add a blue chip prospect, um, but it all, it's all about the price. Um, but to even generate interest, you kind of need the board to either fall the right way or we need one of these quarterbacks to step up. And so far this draft season, I think Willis made some noise at the senior bowl where he's going to be a top 20 pick, but it's not like he's doing anything to say he should be picked that high. And then Corral, the last time we saw him, he was, he got hurt against Baylor. So it's time for his stock. If it's going to go up or go down to start making some noise again. Yeah. Um, there was a, a rather generous price on, Corral to be selected at any point in the first round, um, which I thought was a safe a safe bet. So I've um, I've wagered on that as well this year. Um, Wait, you often, think he is or is not going? No, to he is. I think he's somebody will take him at some point in the first round. Yeah, I mean, I'd, would they in another year if there was three or four guys ahead of him? Probably not. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a supply and demand. I think it it feels like Kevin Colbert before he leaves Pittsburgh's desperate to take somebody at twelve. Um, so you know, is there is there you know, did they jump up a couple of spots? But, you know, 12 to three, you're talking about, you know, potentially a second and maybe, you know, the third or fourth in there as well, you know, in terms of the value chart. So, you know, there it's it's a huge jump at the top um, in terms of the old the old point system. I don't know how relevant, how, you know, uh, true that is. It's, uh, it's valued in that sense. But, yeah, it's, it's great to just have picks again at the top for the draft, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it brings hope, which is something that, I mean, last year we were awful and there were a bunch of great players and we weren't able to capitalize on even just trading back. So yeah, it's nice to have our pick again. It sucks that we have a top three pick and I mean, it's considered the weakest draft in the last 10 years. People are talking about 2013 when the best pick of the first round was us getting DeAndre Hopkins at 27, the, the top 10 was so weak. Um, yeah, but at the end of the day, I think whether we take Hamilton, whether we take Thibodeau, I mean, if we take anyone other than those guys, I'll be upset if we take an offensive tackle. I don't think I'd be upset about Hutchinson, Hamilton, Thibodeau, yeah, or a trade back because all of them you can justify. The one that I, I, I do keep going back, and and I know a lot of people have questioned them, but um, Equanu could be a guard and he could be an all pro guard from day one, you know, and I think if, if, if he's there, um, it might be a question to, you know, because I think Evan Neal will go with one or a Kwanu. I don't know. It'll be one of those two guys. I think it just depends. I think Doug Peterson will, will, will have to build that lineup. You know, he saw how he went to to the to the Super Bowl with Philadelphia with an all-pro, you know, three out of the five, I think, um, at the time. And uh, and he, I think it's hard to see them unless they, unless they bail out that spot. But I don't see anybody going up to one. So I think they're kind of stuck picking there. Um, for something but yeah we'll see we'll see it kind of almost feels like you want a CJ Stroud or a, a Bryce Young next year and you want to be in the conversation because I, when I, I, I did watch um, Bama back against the Texas A&M defence um, did a couple of prospect reviews against them and Bryce Young's the real deal and you know I, I watched the the triple overtime or you know quadruple overtime game on the Thanksgiving weekend the Saturday after Thanksgiving he looked not so good that week, um, but I think you know I think Bill O'Brien got to him a little bit. But I think he's a, he's a, he's definitely a an elite prospect. But you know a lot can change in a year. We all thought Sam Howell a year ago might be, you know, in the conversation, and he lost his weapons and regressed quite horrendously. So you know a lot can change in a year. But it's exciting times. Is there anything you're looking forward to at the combine or draft process before we wrap up? I am excited for. I mean, it's just 
we haven't been able to differentiate these players and we've been trying to for months without any data points really other than some of these uh these showcase games like the senior bowl i'm excited for the quarterbacks to start making noise because ultimately quarterbacks dictate every draft and i think that's will give us some direction on what the market is for teams to move up i think measurements might help us make a decision on Thibodeau versus Hutchinson, which is going to, it looks like Detroit's taken one of those two guys from all indications. I see. I think, I mean, Hutchinson keeping him in Michigan selling jerseys. I mean, to me, that's a no brainer. Uh, and also it seems like people like him as a prospect uh, more than Kayvon as well, but it's just, it's good to get clarity. And I think the draft provides a lot of clarity in terms of the value of players and where you can feel comfortable thinking them. So like right now, mock drafts are really hard to do. And also what's kind of exciting is we know that most of the trades that happen in the offseason, they start to get schemed up this week when yeah, this is real managers yeah. and front office people are all together. So if the rumblings of the Deshaun Watson trade are going to start, if the seeds are going to be planted, this is probably the weekend where Casario is doing a lot of uh, – yeah back channeling to start having those discussions oh that's i think the parameters are the same you know if you're an agent you're you're going to dinner with various gms and you're telling them about your five clients and this is what i'm expecting and uh and that that process will be will start last night they'll start tomorrow night and uh mm-hmm. yeah i would love to I've, I've been in indianapolis just the once but i always thought going to combine might be just for a people watching point of view if you know enough faces uh in front office types then it'd be i think you'll uh You'll see. You'll probably see a lot more uh, than you'd probably ever want or be allowed to repeat. But I think it would be. Mm-hmm. A, I think it would be an interesting event. And did you? Would you recommend the senior bowl? It's something I think I want to do at some point. Uh, yeah, I had a great experience there. It was very casual. Uh, I thought it, they they did a great job with the media experience. Jim Nagy's group over there. Uh, it was fun. The practices, seeing guys. I mean, it's kind of the first event of the NFL offseason and of the draft. Uh, I thought like, I mean, okay, so I'm, I'm with Jordan uh, Texans thoughts and we're sitting in the the pouring rain and it's miserable, but at the same time, we're, we're watching in real time. Like, Hey, like Malik Willis, like the ball comes off of his hand a lot different than everyone else in the rain right now. And like, can he pick it? Like there are some wobblers in there. <laughs> like, you know, he just fumbled yeah, okay. another snap. So it was fun to like, like I'm, we're, I'm watching practice and I'm like, oh, like these are the narratives I'm going to go read about tonight and that people are going to be reading in the morning. So I thought it was a pretty rewarding experience to be there and something I felt pretty blessed to get to do. So, yeah, no, yeah. definitely. I think it's, uh, yeah, someone need to try at some point. I think if uh, <laughs> need to try and hopefully. Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, I would like to go and watch the, watch the hog mollies battle it out, and and you get a real feel for that because that's that is what it is, isn't it? It's just strength and power on power. So, um, yeah, no, it seems like uh, something to maybe try and do next year. I think if we can, um, if we can beef this up a little bit mm-hmm. um, this year and keep going and keep growing, and uh, and we'll see how we go. But um, but John, thank you very much for your time, mate. First one back of the new season. Uh, delighted to join it. If you've not, guys, checked out the Texans Talk with John. is doing with another guest of us that we've had on, Mark uh, Lane from the Texans Wire. Also, go and check that out if you've not already. I uh, listened to the episode last week. Well worth uh, having a listen to. Some great content out there. You can never get enough perspectives and enough 
uh, viewpoints on a team, um, particularly one as crazy as this. So looking forward to a 2022 season. Don't know quite what it'll bring. Got an idea, but we'll, we'll, that's why you play the games, right? To understand what's going on. But there's going to be an intriguing off-season. More twists and turns than probably you'll ever get in the next three um, hopefully, because uh, some normality would be good at some point. But thanks again for listening. If you're uh, if you've not shared, liked, followed, and all that kind of good stuff, please get it out there. Just pass it to one person, um, and that's all we ask. And get it growing this year. And uh, I appreciate John's time. Thank you everybody for listening. And we'll be back again next week to talk about some uh, some other little bits about the about free agencies. We get teed up for um, what may or may not be a number of names we're going to have to learn and a whole new roster to learn, but. John, appreciate it. Thanks for your time, mate. I love being here. Thank you.